This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Welcome back to the Principal Leadership Lab, a podcast experience created for you by two public school administrators. Without further ado, let's join Jeff and Adam in this week's episode. Hey, Adam, welcome back. Another episode of the Principal Leadership Lab. I am so happy to be here with you, my friend. Thanks, Jeff. I am excited to be here with you, too. I'm glad for the first time, probably in a long time, you've said you're excited to be with me. With no follow-up uh, tidbit or no follow-up I'm, I'm proud of you for doing that. I see our, our listeners won't be able to tell, but you've got the northern lights in back of you. That, I'm assuming that that's not your actual night sky right now, but just a graphic. It's an honor of two things. First, on the way home from school today, I listened to Pav and Shea with uh, Thomas Murray. That oh, yeah. was an excellent episode. I already tweeted about it, so go ahead and check that out. Excellent episode. It has me all fired up. Like, I want to go back to school and make a change, do some things, because it was that invigorating. So that was one, because, you know, Pav and Shay, Canada, the whole connection. So the Northern yeah. Lights. But then today, our guest has a connection to the Northern Lights, too, in Canada, right? Absolutely, she does. And before we bring her in, I mean, the, the chain Pav stuff, I mean, that that was f- really just fire that stuff with, with uh, in their Thomas Murray episode. And then and then also their stuff on, you know, that they've been talking about a lot about toxic positivity. And I know that that um, I'm going to tweet at them after this, because we've been talking about getting on an episode with them and doing some collaboration with them. And, and, um, you know, we haven't gotten that done yet. So we're going to have to because that's a hot topic right now. Yeah. And uh, I've been blamed for being toxically positive. And my first response is, um, I'll take it. I, I, I'll take it. You know, I'd rather be positive, but I, but I get the other side and, and Shay's pushing my, my thinking on that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing our conversation with them. The However, good, the good the news day. is that I, I'm, I've chosen to go the opposite. I'm going to be completely <laughs> negative and, and then we'll just balance out. That, that's Okay. I want to, I would, I would, I would love to hear how that turns out for you. If you just be <laughs> toxically, toxically negative, is that yeah. what that would be then? Yeah. I think you can just go with negative. I think, I think it's toxic alone. Yeah, that's true. Being negative is very toxic. Yeah. It's not how I feel around you though, Adam. I feel very, very positive. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> hey, our guest today resides in Oakville. It's about 45 minutes outside of Toronto, up in Canada. I didn't know that before speaking with her about 10 minutes ago. She's a Canadian educator, author, speaker, managing director of Codebreaker Incorporated, Daphne McMenemy. Daphne, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Did I get all that right? You got all the rights. Perfect. Okay. That's First good. time for everything, eh, Jeff? Hey, <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> we, are, we are so glad you're here, Daphne, and uh, just to join us on the Principal Leadership Lab and kick some things around for a little bit. I appreciate that uh, we got connected on Twitter, um, which is where most things for educators happen. And so true. I'm thrilled to, thrilled to be there connected with you and, and that you're on with us tonight. So um, listen, we, we, we want to learn more about you. So let's just kick it off and... and um, if I, if I end up with a Canadian accent by the end of the night tonight, it's because of you, Daphne, but also because of Adam, because he's going to try out his Canadian accent tonight. 
I'm sure it'll come out sometime during the evening. So you already, you already messed up. You should get out. I'm going to take my shoes off and get in my boat and go for a ride about over there. Eh? It sounds that's, like, is that right, Daphne? Is he no, no, that's not at all how I sound. Oh. No, it's not. You're I don't right. Know, actually, I don't know anybody who sounds <laughs> that way. <laughs> it's like an old, old drunken Irishman or something. Yeah, <laughs> that's what he sounded like. That's fantastic. Well, you, I, I'm sure that you know. Maybe throughout the course of our conversation, you'll be able to point some things out about us that we maybe sound different to you, being down here in the U.S. of A. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe. Yeah, we'll see. Listen we'll for see. it, will you please? <laughs> I will. I'll listen for the, the stereotype uh, terminology, and you can do the same. You'll hear a lot of A's and abouts. About. It, see, I heard see. that. Yeah. But, it, I, but I said ab about. Yeah, you. No, you right? said it right. You said okay. it. Yeah. Oh, said oh, is, is there a wrong way? No wrong way. There's no <laughs> wrong way. <laughs> All right. I'll take it then. He's, uh, he's positively toxic. Not toxic. <laughs> no, it's opposite. <laughs> yeah, it's. it's yeah. Yeah, I, I fit the stereotype. I can't. I can't lie. I play hockey. I drink a lot of Tim Hortons. Yeah. Um, I I have curled. I don't know how to curl. I don't curl, but I have curled. Um, I wear a toque. I skate. A toque. A toque. It's a, it's oh. a hat for the winter. Okay. <laughs> it's like a, a winter hat. Um, I have a toque. Yes. It's a Blackhawks hat though, so that probably doesn't go over well in Canada. Well, mm. we're Leaf fans, but we understand. Mm -hmm. I get it. Right, we get it. I've, I've had Tim Hortons. I've had Tim Hortons. It is better than my red can coffee. Adam makes fun of me because I drink coffee out of a red can. It's called Folgers. <laughs> you know, you ever had Folgers coffee? I love this Folgers. Show, this show is <laughs> never going to be sponsored by Folgers. <laughs> I'd support that. <laughs> I would support That's that. awesome. But so have you are... had Tim Hortons in, in the U.S. or have you had Tim Hortons in Canada? Because it's oh, very in different. The, in the U.S.? How is it different? I don't know. It just is. You need to come here. Is well, don't they just send it down here? No, it's different. Yeah, we can't come there. We're blocked down for a while. Oh, that's true. Yeah, but I've had it in Minnesota, and that's kind of like Canada, right? I don't. No. <laughs> I don't know that it is. I don't think it is. So I've not been, so I can't judge completely. And I've been to the UP of Michigan, and that's kind of like the UP. Like that's, the next stop is Canada. Fair. I'll take that. The same water. I touch Lake Superior, so I'm like touching wow. Ontario. I don't, mm. I don't, I don't even know if that's true, Adam. Okay. Uh, we are officially 13 minutes in and have not talked about a single thing of substance. <laughs> well, let's not ruin this episode for Daphne. Oh, this is great. Oh, I love it. <laughs> well, if we can for a minute, Daphne, just steer off course here a little bit from this very fun banter. Um, and just, you know, for our listeners who don't know a whole lot about you, I mean, give us, give us the scoop. You tell, talk to us about your educator journey. I mean, where, where, where did it start? What are you doing now? So my educator journey started about 15 years, about, see, I said it 15 years ago. I heard it. I heard it. <laughs> and, uh, I started teaching in, um, I started teaching in the primary division, which is in Canada or rather in Ontario, it is uh, K to three. So I was teaching, I started teaching in um, grade two and grade three. And then slowly as my career sort of advanced, I moved lower and lower and I made it down to grade one. And then I spent the last three years in kindergarten, which was wow. crazy. Um, kindergarten is not something I ever thought I wanted to do, but um, 
a few years ago, our provincial government changed our kindergarten program delivery. And it became a two-year program where our students come in sometimes as young as three. As long as they are turning four by the end of that calendar year, they are able to start school. So it became a two-year program where they started in uh, their first year is called junior kindergarten or what rather was called junior kindergarten, second year called senior kindergarten. And typically they would stay with the same educator team. Um, in Ontario, in our full day program, kindergarten is taught by a team. So it's an educator and, or two educators rather, one is a certified teacher, the other is a, what we call designated early childhood educator. Um, and you teach these, this group of kids, for the same group of kids for two years in a row. So when that program came into effect and when all of those changes came into effect, I started noticing a really big difference in the grade ones and the first graders that I was teaching. So after about six years or so, six or seven years um, teaching grade one, I sort of wanted to find out uh, why the change was happening and what was so drastically different about the delivery of this new program, which moved into what we call a play-based program or an inquiry-based program, so that I could understand where my grade ones were coming from. I'd been teaching grade one and two for, for six years at that point. I was just generally ready for a change. Um, and that year I decided the change was going to go into kindergarten. So I can say without a doubt that first week of school was the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire career. And I did not think I was cut out for kindergarten. Took a few months and uh, eventually I realized that's exactly where I belonged. Like I, I loved the program. I loved the model. I loved the delivery style. I loved the freedom with which we were able to uh, work with our kids and program with them. It's very much based and tailored to exactly where they are, who they are, their interests, all that sort of stuff. So it, it was this huge sort of space for us as educators to cater exactly what we needed to do to their interests, to their passions, to their development levels. And don't get me wrong, it was really difficult in that there are two full years of kids in that class and our classes, our numbers were sitting at about 30. Mm -hmm. So you have 30 kids in there, some that are walking in on that first day at the age of three, some that are walking in close to six. So the development levels, the, the behavioral levels, the, even just their life experiences are drastically different. Um, just being, you know, human beings, but also that age uh, gap is a huge, huge difference. So it takes a lot of sort of planning, a lot of thinking, um, but you get into this rhythm where, you know, these little people who come in on that first day of school, who just seem sort of off the wall and, you know, unable to, to kind of do anything that you had planned, especially coming from an older grade, turn into this, this incredible learning environment where you have these kids, you know, learning and thinking for themselves. And it's, it's quite, an incredible thing to see. So being in kindergarten has been one of my favorite parts of education and being able to do what I've done with my kindergarten students is something I'm very, very, very proud of. So this year I moved back into grade one and two, just our numbers because of COVID and our, and our remote learners and stuff haven't really jived with um, our plans, what, what were our plans were in um, June. So I'm back into grade one, but what I love about that this year is that my grade one and two students are students I got to teach in their kindergarten years. So I get to continue with their journey, which is a really, really exciting thing as well. You so, have an express ticket to heaven when you teach kindergarten because oh. it, it is hard. <laughs> it I is want, very hard. 
I've only had a few experiences, you know, from my undergrad work. And then when Jeff and I worked at Heritage Elementary School, some partnerships that we developed from fifth or sixth grade down to kindergarten, man, just spending a half hour, I'd come back sweaty and tired. Yeah. So yeah. It amazing. is the most exhausting thing I've ever done. You are just drained at the end of every day. They are at you all the time. Every minute of the day, they are at your feet. Um, and it's not because, you know, you have poor cluster management or, you know, you're not meeting their needs. It's because they're little and the end, <laughs> you know, the, as independent as they are they're they can still be very independently in your face all the time. One of the biggest benefits, I think, anyway, in my opinion, you can tell me if I'm wrong because you have more experience there, but you get to see some growth in those students that we never see at the secondary level. You're, you Crazy. see them go from non-readers to readers to all, all those great big gains. That's yeah. pretty exciting. It's, you know, that that's what I used to think that kindergarten was going to be. You know, I'll get to see kids coming in who couldn't spell their name or couldn't write their name to, you know, leaving as readers. But, you know, one of the the biggest sort of um, things that I've gained is not so much the, the, that academic pro progress. Yes, it's phenomenal and it's really exciting to be a part of, but what I get to be a part of is that little person who walked in on that first day of school screaming bloody murder because they wanted mom and dad to that kid on the last day of their kindergarten journey, who is the proudest, you know, most self-confident little learner that you've ever seen. And it's those, though it's that development that is, one of the things that I love the most about kindergarten. That's fascinating. You know, Adam referenced it, but we, you know, we, we, uh, we started teaching almost our very first year, second year, at, started teaching together um, 23 years ago. And uh, every time I taught sixth, he taught fifth. Every time I walked past the, the kindergarten room, I was just amazed at the work that this, what was her name, Adam? You, you even remember her name? I don't remember. Yeah, I will maybe by the end of the episode. She was fascinating. I couldn't believe that she could just have those little kids just at the palm of her hands. You know, probably not on day one, but you know, towards second semester and at the end of the year. I mean, they were just. I was just amazed by her. She was. She was a wizard, and uh, I. You know, I, I agree. Yeah, that, that that's that's fascinating. You mentioned Daphne that there was one. There was. I don't, know, I don't know how many weeks you set into your, your first year of teaching in kindergarten, maybe only a couple of weeks, you realized that that was exactly where you were supposed to be. Well, like, what was that? What was that switch? What, 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 what was it for you that made you realize this is where you were meant to be? I think it was, um, I don't, you know, I can't pinpoint exactly what it was. Um, I just know when you, in my experience, I've, I started in grade three and then I moved to two and I moved to one and then moved to kindergarten. And every year that I moved to a lower grade, made it so much more difficult because you have this expectation of what they can do, whether it's hold scissors or put the lid on a marker or zip up their jacket, anything, spell a word, pick, pick something. You have this expectation of what they can do because you've taught the older grade. And now when you get into that younger grade, it sort of really takes you um, off your feet to realize what, how much more they have to learn to get to where you thought they were already going to be. And that's just a natural thing. It's, you know, I left in June with these kids who could do all of these things. You just, you kind of forget what September was like. And then you have to remember what September was like the year before. So that first little while of kindergarten, I had all these expectations of what they were going to be able to do. And in turn, what I was going to be able to do with them. Um, and as soon as I realized my expectations were too high, not because they couldn't do it, but because they weren't there yet. And mm -hmm. I wasn't there yet. Um, as soon as I started to realize that 
my expectations had to change, not get lower. They just needed to change. Um, and as soon as my expectations changed and I was meeting them where they were, that's when I realized this is where I want to be. Wow. Wow. That's fascinating. That, 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 it just, it's just amazing to me. I've never taught anything below, below sixth grade. It's always been eight, eighth or eighth or sixth and, and then uh, an administrator from, from there on out. So that's incredible. Do you, you all do um, half day or full day kindergarten in Canada, or does it depend on where you're at? We used to do half day. And in the last few years, it's uh, our, in Ontario anyway, it's a full day. That to me blows my mind. I'm, I mean, I know they need full day, but mm -hmm. full day with kindergartners? <laughs> it's, a, it's a long day, but it's a good day. That's it's amazing. Day. That's amazing. Well, that's incredible. Let, let's, let's talk, let's, uh, let's talk about, tell us about Gracie. And Gracie. Gracie's a book that you've written and, and she was the first one and there are two more since, since then, right? Yes. Yeah. So Gracie actually came out just over a year ago. Um, December 12th, actually, uh, 2019, wow. um, was the first Gracie. So Gracie started um, Gracie started over a Twitter DM between Brian Aspinall and I. So I had uh, written for Brian's website for um, a couple, I've written a, a blog post, rather, for his website. And it was strictly conversation through a Twitter DM. He asked me to write for his site, and I did. I had also taken um, what we call here an additional qualifications course um, with him as the instructor. So I knew him and followed his journey through uh, social media, but I didn't know him personally. I didn't know anything about him other than what the rest of the world saw on Twitter. I really admired his journey. I loved what he was doing in the classroom, his um, ability to connect with students, the way he was using technology was blew me away. And it was, I loved watching what he was doing with his students, with other students, when he was traveling and doing all of this stuff. So he was somebody that I, uh, was a huge, huge inspiration for me to, to move into that, um, ed tech path that I started to take a few years back. Um, after I had written for his site, we just kept in touch again, strictly through social media. And then one day he sent me a DM letting me know that he was in the middle of um, looking at publishing some children's books. He had a couple of projects on the go. And he said, have you ever considered writing a children's book? Um, it's a story I've told. And I responded with, actually, I have. I've just never known where to start. And he responded with what I tell people is the three words that absolutely changed the complete course of my life. And he responded with, you just start. <laughs> so I remember sort of reading that message over and over and just kind of you know, thought about it in that moment. It was so powerful to me. I literally picked up a piece of paper and a pen and I sat in my backyard and I just started writing. It was in the summer of last year. I think it was June, June or July. Um, and I knew exactly what I wanted to write about. Uh, I wanted to write about, it had to be about a little girl. It had to be about um, coding. I really wanted, there was a lot of books, a lot of sort of trending books coming out at the time about coding, but I needed it. I didn't know that of any that were about um, robotics. There was a lot of stuff about coding um, and, you know, connecting coding to real life, but there was, I hadn't read any or found any that I loved about uh, somebody coding a robot to do something. So that's what I was doing in my classroom at the time. I was, had taught these four students. Uh, Gracie is, Gracie's personality is a combination of four students that I had taught. So that was the other thing I knew right away that she was going to, you know, be who she was based on my experiences with, with these kids that I had taught that year. Um, 
And, you know, Brian sort of let me go with it. He was happy that it was going to be about a little girl. He thought it was fantastic that it was going to be about, you know, my real life experiences, because you can put a lot more into a story when it's coming from, you know, that sort of personal place in your heart. Um, and I just started writing. Uh, she, you know, she is, so the story of Gracie is a little girl who is sort of disconnected, disengaged in her learning. And then her teacher introduces her to a robot one day in class. She teaches her how to code and Gracie's world sort of opens up and discovers all of the different ways that she can learn and all of the different things that she can do just with this new skill that she's learned. So that's sort of the overall premise of who Gracie is. And it, it just, so Gracie actually started as Ruby. And uh, when Brian and I were going through a bit of the editing process and the publishing stuff, he had said, uh, he let me know that Ruby is actually a character in another uh, series of coding um, books and, and uh, there's a website about it. Mm. So we sort of sat and brainstormed another name and he had suggested that I look at a real life female to, to name her after. So I went through a website that he had given me. And so Gracie is actually named after a female called or named Grace Hopper. Um, and Grace Hopper is one of the first female programmers. So that's where, that's where she comes to life. So, wow. yeah, so we, I wrote, I wrote Gracie over the summer, published um, in December of last year, like I said, and, and my whole plan when I started Gracie or my whole hope when I started Gracie was for it to be a series. So um, I knew that I wanted to just keep writing about her and, and different adventures. So this past summer, actually, Brian and I sat together and wrote the second book and the second book. So the first book is a story um, fiction. The second book is more of a nonfiction take on um, what happens when, when kids learn to code. And so that's exactly what the book is called. What happens when I learn to code? And Brian and I put our heads together. He's got a graphic online called 10 Reasons to Teach Coding. I had taken that and turned it into... Uh, sort of the spin on what happens when I learn to code, what happens when kids learn to code. So we took both of those ideas and, and put them together into uh, one book that we put out last summer or this past summer rather. And then in the background, the whole time was sitting on the shelf was a book that I just released actually last week called Gracie the Maker. And Gracie the Maker is the third in the series. She meets a new friend and together they sort of put their heads together um, using a bunch of STEM to, um, they have to solve a problem uh, for their class pet. The class pet is not eating, it's a tortoise and they have to figure out a way to feed the tortoise. So they build uh, a Rube Goldberg machine, if you will, to, to be able to feed the tortoise and, they, and, and it involves coding as well. Um, and it's more about perseverance and collaboration and that, that whole idea that, you know, it doesn't matter how young our students are, they can solve problems, they can do all of this, you know, higher level thinking, just they just need to be given the opportunity to be able to mm -hmm. do so. And that's a huge, huge, huge belief of mine that I um, push, <laughs> push very gently, um, maybe not gently at all, actually, on, uh, on most people that, uh, that will let me talk to them about it. But um, that's, that's where Gracie is right now. I'm really, really proud of the series. I love the character of Gracie. I love what she stands for. And um, my hope is to keep going with Gracie. That's exciting. I, I love the connections and, and to know the backstory of who she is, you know, from Grace Hopper and, you know, yeah. one time she was Ruby. That's really, that's exciting. I love to hear those, those details of what authors think. So my favorite part about writing a children's book, and I don't actually know if I've ever said this on a podcast. So is all of those really personal details you get to put in the background. So 
Gracie was Grace Hopper and I've written this in a blog, but I'll share this story. So the only reason I picked Grace Hopper was because she was the only person on this list. I just scrolled through the list really quickly who had anything to do with um, uh, computers and anything to do with computer technology or sorry, computer science. So that's why I picked the name Grace Hopper. I saw computer science done Gracie that that's what it was. So Gracie became Gracie halfway through the writing and just before I was about a week away from publication, I started reading um, more on the history of who Grace Hopper was. Just for my own benefit, I was also trying to um, create some like marketing graphics and I wanted to let people know about who Grace Hopper was. So to, to sort of backtrack a little bit, I am a younger sister of a brother who passed away two years ago. Mm. So he passed away very suddenly um, two years in April and my brother's name was Mark. So writing the story, I wanted to add him somehow into the story, but I, I didn't want it to be as sort of cliche as dedicating it to him. There was something more I wanted to do. I just didn't know what it was. Um, so it, there's bits and pieces in the story that are sort of dedicated to him on, on spoiler alert, on the last page of the first book, mm. Gracie gets introduced to a new robot and the robot that she gets introduced to is it, um, a replica of the robot that my brother and I used to play with in the eighties that uh, we used to code and, and, and play around with our house. So now moving forward, I'm sitting and I'm, and I'm working through um, some research on Grace Hopper and I'm, you know, figuring out who she is so I can do some marketing about her. And I come to discover that the name of the very first computer that Grace Hopper ever worked on was called the Mark. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. And it was a moment where I, I remember reading this and just kind of dumbfounded thinking, there's no way that that's what I just read. And wow. so I went through it again and I looked at a different website thinking maybe the website I was looking at was wrong. And, and that's, um, that was the name of the very first computer she ever worked on. And it was one of those moments of, okay, this is exactly the, the track, the trail that I'm supposed to be on. This is, this is the path that I'm, Gracie was, was made. This was exactly what I was supposed to be doing right now. So wow. So no other podcast has heard this. No. You've you heard, heard it first on the principal leadership. <laughs> there you go. We are going to the bank with this one, Jeff. Perfect. Wow. wow. Yeah. So first. I love those. I love being able to add those little pieces in. In um, Gracie the Maker, her newest friend is named Edie. And Edie is named after Edith Clark, who is known as the human computer. Um, and so again, I picked her based on a few different reasons, um, you know, computer science. And I wanted obviously to be female, powerful female and Edith Hopper, excuse me, Edith Clark has this ridiculous list of first female to, and then the list just doesn't stop. And one of the things she was, is, um, she was the first female to earn a master's of science from MIT in electrical engineering. Mm. And my brother was an engineer. So he has, uh, now, well, now I have his iron ring. Um, I don't know if everybody does it in the States, but here in, um, in Ontario, if you graduate with an engineering degree, you get an iron ring and it's, and you just wear it on your pinky. I have it right here. Our listeners can't see, but it's just this little metal ring you wear on your pinky. Um, uh, and it sort of tells everybody that you're an engineer. So if you look through Gracie, the maker, you will see Edie wearing an iron ring and that's the tribute the details are amazing yeah and 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 to memorialize your brother in such a way this is going to be carried on through generations each family yeah. that reads this they're going to be able to carry that story of your brother on even if they don't know the background yeah memory is going to live on yeah. that is, it, i am i have goosebumps that is yeah. so awesome yeah for sure 
for sure. Goosebump moments. And, and again, another moment in your life where you realized that this was exactly what you were supposed to be doing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So how great is that? I, that's my favorite part of the writing process is those little mm. details that you get to, to throw in um, that are your sort of personal life, your personal story. Yeah, that's great. And you know what, on, on, on um, the discovergracie.com website, your, mm-hmm. your website for Gracie, um, I love that at the bottom, you know, it, it's, it's, it's more about, you know, it's not just about the premise is Gracie, right? The whole, the theme is Gracie, but, it, but you say it's our responsibility as educators to give our youngest learners experiences and opportunities to step outside their comfort zone and take those risks that allow them to discover their passion. You know, and I, and I don't know, Adam and I have talked to so many uh, adults in our path that could use that message as well. (laughs) You know, not just kids, but, but people like we have to step outside our comfort zone. We have to take risks that are going to allow us to discover our passion. And sometimes we haven't done that until we're adults. Right. I love the message. I just love the whole theme throughout and picture books are for kids and adults alike. I've always believed that. I totally agree. You know? So what a beautiful story. I'm so proud of that story uh, about Gracie and I can't wait to uh, read the series. Thank you. Yes. Um, and I can't wait to tell people I know the author. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. And share these little stories with them and they'll be like, wow, that's so cool, Mr. DeWitt. I can't wait. <laughs> so get out there and buy the books, people. Gracie, what happens when I learn to code and Gracie the maker. You, you definitely want to have those in your house. So I love it. So Daphne, along, along the way, along your, along your journey, you know, in the past, uh, however many, I think you said 15 years ago when you started teaching primary, has there been sort of, uh, you know, a challenge um, along your journey, whether it's in the classroom, um, in, your, in your work with, uh, you know, with, with Codebreaker and in your writing process, maybe that you've had to, a challenge that you've had to work through, or maybe it's something in the past, or maybe it's something now that you're working on. Is there something that you can talk to or uh, that our listeners can maybe glean some information about how you worked through that process? You know, I have to say, so, I mean, working right now with Codebreaker has been uh, phenomenal, incredibly inspirational and motivational. And all of those really um, good things have, has come out of Codebreaker. Um, you know, everything that I do with Codebreaker is a challenge, but it's a good challenge. It's, it's a challenge because it's new things, stuff that I haven't done before. And it's things that I get to learn. Um, but I, I think there was sort of a, a turning point for me in my career. When I started teaching, I always thought that I sort of walked into a school and I stayed there. And 25 years later, I walked out and retired, you know, mm. born a teacher, stayed a teacher, the end administration was never something that I looked into or thought about. I just had this thought that you just, that's it. You became a teacher at the end. Halfway through my career, about the eight, eight year mark, I started to just realize that I needed something more. I wasn't feeling fulfilled with what I was doing. I wasn't, I mean, I loved teaching and I, and I love teaching and I loved what I was doing with, I love my kids, but they weren't responding to anything that I was doing. So that's sort of when EdTech kind of um, rolled around for me. And it's when I discovered coding and robotics and all of that in the classroom. And so I brought it into my classroom. I learned alongside my students and we started on this journey of coding and robotics and all things technology all of the time. But I found that I was sort of that lone wolf in my school that was doing um, this type of learning with 
the students as young as I had. And nobody was really interested in listening to what I felt and what I've come to learn are the absolute incredible benefits of teaching kids with incorporating technology, whether it's coding, whether it's robotics, whether it's anything to do with involving technology in our learning. So instead of, you know, taking the time to step back to discover why my colleagues were pushing back, I just continue to push forward, um, which I learned sometime later that that was the worst thing I could have done. Mm. I didn't stop to think about why they were feeling this way. I didn't stop to think about how they were hearing my message. The only thing I could focus on was they're not listening. They're doing it wrong. And I really thought that, and I really thought I'm doing it right. You're doing it wrong. And I was getting nowhere. And the more, and the, the more I, the louder I spoke, the more I pushed, the worse it got. And like, I almost felt like people were, you know, not using technology just so that I would, you know, get angry or, or people would use technology just so I would shut up. Like nobody wanted to listen to me and I would get so frustrated over it. And again, I had this whole mindset, I'm right, you're wrong. And that's just such a terrible way to look at anything in education. Even if you are right, to just sit there and think I'm right stops you from moving any further in your learning. And mm. I didn't know that at the time it took, it took um, some relationships that I had that sort of ended. It took um, some colleagues maybe sharing their opinions with me in a not so kind way in response to the way I thought I was trying to help or benefit. Um, it took a lot of heart to hearts with my administrator that year to sit me down and, you know, really talk about her experience with me and the way she, she, she understood where I was coming from. She understood who I was, but um, I didn't see what other people saw. So that sort of challenge of why won't anybody listen to me? Why won't anybody, you know, uh, buy into this got made me get to a point in my career where I felt so sort of spent and kind of done. And, you know, I felt so alone. I found other people within my, my school board or my district who were like-minded, but they weren't near me. And when you're in a school and the only person that really wants to give you any time of day is, you know, your administrator or your one colleague, it's not a great place to be. Um, so I felt very, very isolated. But what I learned was that I had isolated myself and that took, it, it took time to learn. It took experience to learn. And in the end, what I learned is that, um, you know, I wasn't looking at the fact that my colleagues were going along their journey at their speed. I was only looking at the fact that they weren't where I was at the pace that I was going. And that's a really unfair way to, to look. So, you know, it really made me stop and reevaluate how I was approaching programming, how I was approaching, you know, collaboration with my colleagues and moving from, you know, appreciating the fact that they're moving in their journey and it doesn't have to look like mine. It doesn't have to be what I'm doing. It doesn't have to be at the same speed that I'm going. And as soon as I made that realization and, and it wasn't like a light switch, it wasn't, it was gradual over time. And over time, when I was able to look back, I could see where I was and where I am. That was one of the biggest challenges because I was ready to pack it in. Um, I was ready to say, this is too hard to do by myself. No one's, you know, willing to, to learn or, you know, think the way I think, or even listen to, to what I was trying to put out there. As soon as I started changing how I was delivering my message and becoming more of a listener and more of a learner, 
um, I became much, much happier and much more effective in what I was, what I was able to do. You mentioned uh, there's, well, first of all, there's a ton of information in that last little segment that you shared with us. So thank you. You talk about being a lone wolf. And I think so often leaders end up being that, that way. So whether you're leading in a bad way or a good way, you know, I think you found your, you found your path now, but how, how does, how does that history that you just described, how does that tie into like code breakers? Cause, cause when you do that, you're no longer the lone wolf, right? I mean, now you're, now yeah. you're part of a pack. Yeah. And it's, it's a pretty, killer pack. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I found uh, the people that I'm surrounded with now um, in Codebreaker from, you know, Brian next to me to all of the authors that I get to work with. Um, we are all very like-minded individuals and we're not necessarily like-minded. We're not all pushing ed tech. We're not all pushing coding and robotics. We're all pushing leadership. And what I learned through Codebreaker is leadership doesn't mean an administrator. Leadership is an action. It's not a title. And, you know, that's a very trendy thing to say, but I didn't know that before becoming part of Codebreaker. I thought if you were a leader, it's because you were a leader in your school. Mm. Um, and leadership is so much more than that. And so our like-mindedness comes from the fact that we all believe that, you know, we need to be kid first. We need to be teaching kids, not content. We need to be about relationships. We need to be fostering that risk-taking and problem-solving and all of those things within our students and looking at our students as, you know, not just a body in a room, but teaching the whole child. That's what makes us like-minded. And as a result, I get to learn so much from so many people, from so many walks of life, uh, or rather walks of education life, I guess, um, to learn things that I didn't know before. And that sort of, you know, the, the turning point that, that halfway mark where that turning point was when I was ready to walk out, what I got out of that was learning how much more I'm able to do. And so I started looking at things much more differently. I started, you know, I wasn't just a teacher who was going to retire in 25 years in the same four walls, that there were so many other opportunities available. And that, I guess, sort of led me, you know, unconsciously to this codebreaker path where I got to meet up with Brian and, you know, here we are today working side by side. I think tech maybe has, <laughs> tech has maybe saved a lot of us. I think Twitter has been my lifeline. I had no idea yeah. what oh, I yeah. was missing until I found out what I was missing. The yeah. connectivity. Um, Jeff and I used to keep in touch just by a telephone. Well, now look at our PLNs, Jeff. I, we have a lot of overlap, which is pretty neat too. Sure. But there's still so much more that I'm connected to because of ed tech. You found your place with your pack and, and you're a killer pack. So don't mess with Daphne because she's a killer pack. <laughs> um, it's just, it's, you're, you're spot on, I think. And so you said, you, what, 16 years on the job now? Yeah. 16 years on the job. So you've learned this lesson considerably faster than Jeff. He's 50. So you know, Stop you, it. I can't wait to see what she does at 50. I'll she, no. She's got a long way. She's, she's learned. Definitely. You've learned some things. Um, yes. Um, you know, veiled within Adam's um, jabs at me, which I'm used to by now. I've been putting up with it for a long, long time, a quarter century, actually. Um, <laughs> you, you know, you said as soon as you, you said something along the lines of, I'm not going to get it exactly how you said it until I play it back. But as soon as you became a listener, you know, as soon as you started listening, you started learning. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you would have done that, 
or if you would have if you would have um, been able to um, have this code breaker option uh, opportunity come at you unless you had learned that lesson, you know, absolutely. So it's probably a good thing that you learned that and it kind of humbles a person, you know, oh, when, big time. when you realize that somebody asked me um, I, on a recent podcast that I was interviewed on, like, what, what would you tell your younger self? And I, and I immediately said, shut up and listen, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, cause I thought I knew it all, you know? Oh, absolutely. That's what your wife said, by the way. Well, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't your younger self. What a, what a lifesaver. <laughs> so true. So true. But I, I'm so glad that you did, because like I said, I mean, who knows? I mean, all these opportunities, uh, you know, Gracie and Codebreaker may not be here for you if you hadn't learned that lesson, you know, so. I Definitely. I totally agree. It's awesome. It's awesome. Daphne, as we begin to uh, just wrap up the episode here, um, just one last question for you, and it's a big one. Um, what are you hopeful for? What am I hopeful for? Oh, that's a good question. What am I hopeful for? You know, I'm I'm hopeful that um, I'm hopeful I'm hopeful for our kids. I'm hopeful that we that education has um, sort of pivoted, uh, unfortunately, as a result of of you know a lot of disaster and, and sadness and grief, yeah. um, in the current state, but I'm hopeful for our kids. I'm hopeful that as a result of all of these massive changes that we are building educators who are beginning to see education in a different way and who are beginning to, um, prioritize not only their well-being but the well-being of their students. I'm hopeful that, you know, all of these changes will allow a lot of reflection for, for, for everybody to, you know, sort of come at education in an innovative way, in a new way, um, and prioritize that, you know, kid first content second. Mm. So that's what I'm hopeful for. So true. Adam and I talk about all the time about how, um, you know, not to downplay the devastation of COVID, but uh, it has brought out some things and I really, really, some good things, you know, some really good things have come of this. People have started to really um, talk about not taking advantage of their situation and, and um, not, or not taking for granted rather. And um, just, just the creativity and innovation that we've seen mm-hmm. because of the, the disaster, you know? Yeah. And I, I think that um, um, you you hit it right on right on the head. I think I hope I'm really hopeful as well that people start thinking differently, you know, and thinking about education differently and saying yeah. why can't we do it this way all the time? You know, I yeah. think there's I think there's some there's some benefit to thinking about that. There is there is I um I tweeted out this morning. I was just sort of thinking out loud, and um you know for us our Christmas vacation starts as a Friday, so we're, we're or tomorrow rather. Um, and, you know, I realized as I was getting through this week, it was just, you know, sort of clawing to the finish line. Like, let's just get to Friday at 3.30. And it dawned on me this morning as I heard talks on, um, you know, our news stations here that our government was thinking about shutting us down after our two weeks, keeping us remote for, you know, I don't know, pick a number, two weeks, say. And it the second I heard that, it sent me right back to March 13th, where we said goodbye to our kids thinking, you know, for us, it was, it was a week of March break. We were thinking we'd be gone for the March break. Okay. Maybe just an extra couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden the entire year was gone. 
And for me, that was devastating. I didn't realize I was suffering from a lot of grief, losing out on that time with my kids, especially in kindergarten. The last half of that year is crucial uh, for them. And it's so important. And um, I, it was, it was really difficult to deal with having lost that opportunity to be with Mm -hmm. them. And this morning, hearing that on the news immediately put me right back to where I was in March. And, you know, I just want people to remember what that felt like, what that felt like, you know, being taken away from us in March. Um, Let's not let that happen again. Mm -hmm. Let's, let's, yes, we have to teach and we have to write report cards. We have to check those boxes and do all those things. We have to keep our kids safe. and, And, you know, for us, we have to wear masks and sanitize every, you know, what feels like two minutes of the day, but kid first, kid first, kid first. This is, this is what we need to remember. Such a great mantra to follow. After that, it becomes really simple when you have that. Yep. Yeah. And a lot more fun. (laughs) Exactly. Yep. Oh, for sure. Well, listen, Daphne, it's uh, it's been a, just a real pleasure to get to know you and I can't wait for our listeners to hear this episode. Um, How can people reach out to you in the meantime? What's the best way to find you if they want to know more? So you can hit me up on my website, which is DaphneMcMenemy.com. And I spend uh, most of my time on Twitter at McMenemyTweets. Um, but if you head up my website, you can find all of the places where, uh, where I exist online. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Get out there, people. Buy the books. Check out Codebreaker. Check out Daphne. Uh, give her a follow. Uh, Daphne, it's been a pleasure. We've really, really enjoyed this uh, hour. And uh, I didn't hear in there... I don't know if you heard anything in us that you know you want to point out that we speak <laughs> certain words wrong or anything like that. Or I thought it was perfect. Awesome. It was perfect. <laughs> it was we perfect. Have, we it haven't was. been called perfect, I think, in a long time, Jeff. No, no, that's true. We're gonna take that one to the bank here. Yes. You heard it here first, people. Perfect. We're perfect. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, Daphne from the Principal Leadership Lab. Have a great holiday. Thank you. You as well. All right. Take care. See ya. See ya. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the Principal Leadership Lab. Feel free to connect with us in between episodes on Twitter and on Instagram. All of our information is included within our show notes. Until next time, this is Adam signing off for the Principal Leadership Lab.